I don't know if you've ever found yourself at a place in life when you couldn't see the possibility that the future was ever going to be any better than it was in the moment. Um, when you know, you're in a, a rough spot, things went bad, and you just think, I don't see how I'm ever going to recover or life's ever going to recover. Uh, I can think of two distinct times in my life when I felt that way or that was kind of my outlook on life. The first one is so silly looking back on it, okay? Um, but when you're really young, you just don't have the perspective to see that things can turn around so quickly. And emotions are so big when you're young. Um, I don't know if that's hormones or your brain's just not done growing yet or what it is. Um, but um, as I was finishing up high school, um, you know, my, me and my friends were all like planning what we're going to do after high school and what schools we're going to go to and, and where and, you know, talking freedom, all that stuff, you know, you look forward to. Um, but my parents informed me that I would not be going away to college and that I would spend my first two years going to the community college in my hometown. Um, and that was what I do for the first uh, two years. And I was so mad. I was so mad about that at first. And, um, you know, because then after we graduated uh, and had that last summer, all my friends took off and I was stuck at home. And I'd work a job on the weekends so that when they came home, I was at work. And I just got madder and madder because they'd talk about what was happening at school and all the things they were doing. I was like, well, I did the same thing pretty much that I did the last four years when I was in high school. And again, it's so funny um, that I felt trapped like that. And I felt like, oh, you ruined my life. Life is over. And I, I think part of it, again, emotions are big. You're young. You don't have a lot of perspective when you're younger of years and understanding like that. Um, I think a part of it is the fact that from like seventh grade on, you get told, hey, you have to have your life plan, and if you don't have your life plan, your life's never going to turn out, and you're just going to ruin it, and you're going to end up you know, like living on the street, and you know that's kind of what the message was, I felt like, and um, I didn't have a plan, and the plan I did have was kind of thrown um, for a loop there. Um, now, hindsight tells me, you know, that that's not the way that it went. You know, hindsight tells me that those two years at home actually changed my life for the better in ways I never would have imagined, ways I never would have planned for myself. And so I see God's hand in that. I see my parents' wisdom in that, although I probably wouldn't tell them that um, because that you know how that is because parents are dumb and they don't know anything. And I don't know why that is. They're probably watching, so they get it. Um, but, but part of it, uh, you know, I, it's just interesting how you don't have that, that understanding. And in that moment, though, I felt like my life's over. It can never get any better. All my friends, they're ahead of me now. I'm behind in life. They're going to get all the good jobs and there won't be any left by the time I get out of school. Whatever, you know, all the thoughts that go through about how bad it is. So it is, it was, that was a silly one, right? It, um, but the second time in my life, um, it happened in 2015. Um, for whatever reason, the anxiety that had kind of been a constant passenger most of my life suddenly became this overbearing, unstoppable monster. And um, in some ways, the writing was on the wall for a while. You know, I should have seen it coming. But in other ways, it just kind of came out of nowhere, like overnight, and I didn't understand it. Um, I found myself having panic attacks for the first time ever, which <clears throat> that's terrifying in and of itself. That If you've ever had a panic attack, the first one is always the worst one because you are convinced you're dying. I thought I was having a stroke. I, didn't, I couldn't talk. It was so weird. My hands, like, curled in. All my muscles started getting tighter. My, I couldn't talk. Abby's sitting there with me in the middle of the night trying to, like, be cool because she's always so calm and cool when I'm freaking out. Um, and, but, like, 
when she starts like getting nervous about something, then it's like, oh no, like my anchor in the storm. So like she's like watching this happen, not knowing what's going on. So it was a very scary thing. Um, I, for the days and weeks that followed, I, I found myself overwhelmed and unable to get out of bed at times. Um, I would spend hours just sobbing, not understanding what was going on. Uh, it was scary um, because I, I couldn't really pinpoint anything specific that caused it. I couldn't pinpoint anything specific that I was scared of, and yet I felt like I was scared of everything. It was such a weird thing. Um, I felt shame because I could look at my life and be like, my life's really never been better. Like, everything's good. My kids are healthy. I got a great wife. She loves me. There's really no reason for me to feel this way, and so then I felt bad about feeling that way. It was a weird, horrible little spiral, and on that long journey back, there were times when I definitely felt, this is never going to be any better. This is my life now. Everything's over. I can't, this thing that I can't control has overtaken me. This monster that I can't even see, is, it's one, and I don't see any way that the future could ever possibly get any better. And it's such a scary place to be if you've ever found yourself in a moment when you look at the next day and the next day and the weeks and months that follow and you just don't see any event, any possible way, anything's going to turn around, any way the sun could ever rise again. Um, but even though it's a terrifying place to be, and if you've ever found yourself there, you know that, one of the amazing things is that because we Many of us here are followers of Jesus. We actually should be people who never find ourselves in a situation where we are hopeless. Even though in that moment, you know, I, I had those moments where I was tempted to think, this is it, this is hopeless, this is how my life is. It was so strange. There were just random little things that kept popping up, verses of scripture that somebody would send me. Um, one of them, I can't even remember uh, which specific psalm it is, but it's like talks about the Lord is my rock and my salvation. You know, He's the thing that's steady and holds still when everything feels like it's topsy-turvy and, and unsteady. Uh, I just kept clinging to that verse over and over and over again. And so as followers of the one true God of the universe, even though life can get to some really bad places, we should never be a people who lose hope. Um, now, today we're going to finish up this teaching series called Living in exile. And what we've been talking about for the last number of weeks is the idea of an exile is being, when you find yourself in a culture you don't really understand or recognize. It's when you grew up in one location, one culture that you knew and you understood how to navigate it, and then all of a sudden you find yourself in a, in a part of the world or a place that is just foreign and strange and you don't really know how to handle it. And um, we've been looking at the uh, Old Testament story of ancient Israel and when they were exiled from their home. Uh, what happened was they were an independent, their own nation with kings and all that, and a bigger, powerful, more powerful nation came in and just kind of bullied them and took everybody out of power, out, and, and said, we're in charge now. You're not a country anymore. We, you're ours. And one of the things that they did when they conquered Israel was the Babylonians took a bunch of Israelites and shipped them back to Babylon. And so you had these people that literally almost like within a course of a few days, few weeks, found themselves in a place they didn't know, uh, where people dressed differently, spoke a different language, where they didn't understand the customs, they didn't understand the religious beliefs, they didn't understand the morality, because it was so drastically different from the world they grew up in. And they were kind of stuck in this moment thinking, okay... We're in this place we don't recognize, but we want to still, we're still God followers. We want to honor him and, and follow him. 
But we have this new culture, and they're trying to force us to change, and we don't really know how to maintain our faith in this new place. And so they were, like, on the fly trying to figure that out. And so we can, um, we're gonna, we've been looking at that because what's happened in um, the last number of decades is our culture here has been changing so ridiculously fast. Like, if you know anything about history... What you know is there has never been a time of cultural change like we have lived through in our lifetimes. Like the, the, the speed of change is so much more amplified than any other time in history. Changes that would have taken centuries, we've gone through in mere decades. It's crazy and unprecedented in the whole scale of history. And so for a long, long, long time, Christianity has kind of had this cultural power. It's kind of been the cultural foundation. Even for people who weren't Christians, Christianity kind of had this social power that determined what we believed in our country, the morality, what was right and what was wrong. And then culture just took this giant shift. And so even though we haven't packed up and moved to another country, our culture has changed so fast that a lot of people find themselves looking at the world and reading the news and getting online and being like, I don't even recognize where I'm living anymore. This is not the world I grew up in. And it's been exaggerated for Christians because we kind of stand on a set of beliefs. And part of the Christian faith is we come back week after week and say, here's what we believe, here's what's right, here's what's wrong, here's where we stand on Jesus, our hope is in Jesus. And so our perspective on right and wrong don't really change a whole lot. And what you know, what's, we should do and how we should live, that kind of stuff's all been spelled out in Scripture. And so we've tried to stay still, and our world has shifted around us. And so we find ourselves, even though, again, we didn't move, we find ourselves exiled in a culture that we don't recognize, in a world that is strange and unfamiliar to us. And so we have to learn how to navigate that. And the background to all this is the fact that Christianity Christianity had that social power for a long, 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 long time. From about 300 A.D., for 1,500 years, Christianity just was the law of the Western world. It had, like, everything was based on Scripture, and that's just how the world was run, and everybody kind of understood that and lived with it. And um, then a couple hundred years ago, that started to change, and that change started picking up speed and picking up speed, and it's just been faster and faster and faster until here we are today. And what's weird is I think it's still accelerating I think it's still going to go faster and faster and faster. I think our world is going to change at a pace that is going to like give us whiplash trying to keep up with it all. And this quick change has done some things that have made Christianity um, and a lot of Christians feel pretty uneasy. Um, one thing that's happened is um, people who were kind of, sort of Christians aren't really around anymore. You see, um, again, when Christianity was kind of the accepted thing, like in culture, like you go back to some of your childhoods, you know, things were closed on Sunday. That's, that was because of church, because Christianity. You didn't do things on Sunday because that was the Lord's day. Um, you had things like where um, the people that were good people, they were the church people. You knew the good people go to church on Sunday. That was even the people that like didn't go to church still like they go to church, so they're probably a good person. Like that was just kind of the accepted idea of the land. And so there was like this cultural pressure to move towards Jesus. And so you had people 
who never really went all in with Jesus, never gave their whole life to him. He wasn't the basis, but they'd still like come to church. They'd still kind of be, um, you know, they'd give every now and then and do a little bit because they felt this cultural push towards Jesus. But that has gone. That cultural pressure is gone. And so now these people that were like, I should go to church more. I should probably do this more. But Jesus was never really the center of their life. They don't feel that pressure anymore. And so they've kind of just gone about the rest of their lives. And that, that has been happening for a long time. 2020 was like the nail in the coffin for the, the mushy middle of Christianity. Like the people that were kind of in, they just never came back to church. The, the habit was broken and they were gone. And that, like, that's why most churches even now have seen like a 30%-ish decline from before 2020 happened. And so for a lot of people that kind of seems like, oh no, overnight, where did all the Christians go? Where did, every, where did everybody go? Why is everybody gone? Um, it kind of feels like to some people, like we were marching along with this big army and all these people with us. And then when we got to the place where it was time to fight, we looked over our shoulder and everybody's gone. Like, holy smokes, I'm standing here with my sword all by myself. I don't want to fight this battle. Like, it feels like, where did everybody go? We had so many people here, and now they're all gone. It's because those people that were kind of, sort of, not all in, just, they lost the pressure, the, the push, the influence, the urge to, to keep going. Another thing that's happened is it's made, um, a lot of the things that made being a Christian easy and uncomfortable, those things are gone. Uh, and the thing about when life is easy and comfortable is you don't really realize how easy and comfortable it is, right? Um, you know, like um, when your kids are getting ready to graduate, and like, or you ever see a high school kid even that talks about, man, uh, life is so hard. You're like, what's so hard about it? Like, mom makes all your food and does all your laundry. It's like, oh, honey, that you sweet and this little thing, you don't even know how hard it is yet. Like, and so as, as Christians, we've had it so easy and it was just like oh, our faith, we were accepted, our faith was accepted, our beliefs were accepted. Rarely did we get challenged by, by any amount of people. And so we didn't realize how nice and cushy the, the system and the setting was for us to be Christians. And then all of a sudden, that is gone. And so there's a lot of things that have, um, were so easy that are now a little bit more of a struggle um, in ways they did not used to be. Um, and... Like I said, the thing is, you don't, we didn't realize how good we had it until it was over. Um, I think back to like the, the age when you have kids and they're so, I mean, newborn, itty-bitty. I'm talking like those first few months, right? And they're so cute and they're so, and you're just enamored with them, right? But on the other side of that, you're so tired, and you're, you're so over the screaming sometimes, and you're so over the dirty diapers, and you're so over the cost of diapers, all of that stuff, right? And so, you're, and so there's a party that's like, I can't wait till we get to that next stage, right? But the next stage is fit throwing, and no! And all of a sudden, like, you, you get like, you know, that, that 18th time they drop their plate of food on the floor and tell you no, and like, you're like, you know what? I could, I could go for a few more dirty diapers all of a sudden. Like, like you kind of wish you could go back. You didn't realize how good it was until that moment was gone. And so that's kind of where we find ourselves. This acceptance that we largely had in our culture for a long time, centuries, it's gone. Um, the beliefs that we have that were once accepted by everybody are now mocked by some people. Um, we are often met with indifference at best, hatred at worst. Um, it... It's, it's interesting because now I know that when I watch a TV show, a newer TV show, I should say, um, and there's a character and they go out of the way to point out that the character's a preacher, 
I know they're the bad guy immediately. I'm like, they're either going to be a murderer, a pedophile, or a cannibal, or something worse. It's just automatic. It's so, it's so weird. And again, I didn't like, I wasn't like paying attention to preachers and TV shows growing up anyway, but, but that sticks out to me now. It's like, hey, why am I, I'm not a cannibal. Like, my, I don't have any cannibal friends that went to Bible college with me. Like, I don't know why that's the, the, the thing that sticks out uh, the most. But, but it's one of the many subtle ways that our culture has shifted. And that acceptance, that, that general, like, we're all in this together has kind of gone away. Um, another thing that it has done is uh, this shift of culture has eliminated any sort of easy outreach opportunities. It, I mean, outreach opportunities used to be relatively easy. You throw up a tent in the front of the church, you hand out some flyers, the whole town shows up, and you have a revival. And it's like great church attendance, you get a bunch of new people, it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. This, this era where, again, we can open the doors and have people, just expect people to show up in droves or even at all, that's gone. And we can't expect people to come to us. Now we live in this age where we have to go to them. Because again, as I said, at best we're getting indifference from culture. At most we're getting Christians are bad. Or at worst we're getting Christian, they think Christians are bad. And so it's like, well, uh, we have to actually go now and prove ourselves. We have to prove we're not bad. We're not hateful. We, we carry the love of Jesus. We want to help people. We want to show grace. We want to show mercy. We now have to prove that to people where once that was just kind of what people assumed about us anyway. And so we have to do a lot more hard work of building relationships and, and serving our communities and, and doing all this stuff to overcome the negative feelings that now exist because it used to be positive, all the positive energy, and now that's gone. And so for a lot of Christians, all of these changes have caused us to kind of look around and be like, man, this is pretty rough. This is all happening pretty quick. This is not really that great. I know a lot of Christians who I think are tempted at times to feel absolutely, utterly hopeless about the future of Christianity. Uh, Like I said, as church attendance has taken a hit, as less people seem receptive to the gospel than ever before, um, as, excuse me, as um, we have these things that used to work to reach people that don't work anymore. Again, there's a lot of, Christians, I know, that are pessimistic about what's going on. What is the future? They think, does the church even have a future? Is this just our slow decline, slow walk to death at this point? Um, Are the best days of Christianity behind us in our culture? Uh, Or just that, I don't know how this is going to turn around. I don't know how the future can look better than the past. But to have that perspective, even in the face of things that look bad, forgets one really huge important factor, God. Yes, things look bad from our perspective. Yes, this shift and a lot of the things that came with it surprised a lot of us. But I'll tell you who didn't surprise, the one who knows the future, the one who sees all things, the one who is present in past and future. We cannot forget that we serve the God of the universe who knows all things, has plans for the future, and will make sure without a doubt that he accomplishes those plans despite any attempted human disruption. The things that surprise us do not surprise God. The things that scare us have not scared him. The things that overwhelm us have not overwhelmed him. And so when we get the most pessimistic and the most scared, it's usually because we're looking at here and we forgot to lift our eyes 
to the creator of the universe who's had us in his hands the entire time. We've forgotten where our power and our strength and our care and our protection comes from. And so as we move forward in our culture that's going to keep changing and we're gonna, it's going to keep surprising us, it's going to keep tossing curveballs at us, one thing we must do in our greatest tool moving forward is going to be trusting in our God, having an unwavering trust in who he is and his plan for us moving forward forward. Um, You have to remember, there have actually been a lot of times through history where people actively had missions to kill Christianity, and we're still here. It's happened before. It'll happen again. People have tried, and it has not worked so far, because God can work through even the best, most organized, most powerful human plans. They're small to him. And so as God has spoken to these exiles that we've been studying um, in various ways, and especially in the book of Jeremiah where we've been spending a little bit of our time, um, he gives them some devastating news that probably caused a lot of them to be hopeless. He told them, hey, some of you are going to spend a long time in exile, some 70 years, which to some of them was like, you're going to die in exile. You're never going home again. Uh, I can't imagine that like kick to the gut of being taken away and thinking, well, God will fix this. God will get us home. And then God saying, nope, you're going to stay there. Uh, How hopeless they must have felt in that moment. Um, And I'm sure some of them were pushed that way to hopeless um, as they're feeling as if their lives were over. But But while giving them this crushing news, God reassures them that, again, he's still in control of everything. Uh, so we're going to uh, finish up our time today in Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah 29. I am sure many of you uh, have heard of one of the verses that we've read or that we're going to read here before. I have been um, dancing around it for the last three weeks trying not to, to read it uh, because I wanted to save it for today. Um, because um, um, as we talked about the beginning of 2022, Last year, I think, we talked about, did a series on kind of how to read the Bible properly. One of the things that we learned in that was never read a Bible verse in isolation. Never take a Bible verse and read it all on its own because you are setting yourself up to miss what's really going on. And nowhere is that more dangerous than the nice sounding verses because we slap them on coffee cups. We put them on t-shirts, uh, we put them on the, as like the main verses at conferences, Christian conferences and stuff like that. Um, we put them on pretty nature backgrounds and then post them on social media, right? And they sound like these wonderful, great promises, and they are, but we just kind of make it sound like this, um, mo- like they're, they're supporting the modern American idea that if you just believe hard enough, all your dreams will come true. That's not the story of scripture. It's not. That's not bad news. God's plans are better than yours, okay? I thought my life was over because I had to go to community college, right? God has bigger plans than what we set up for ourselves. And so when we read this verse that we're going to read in a minute, in isolation, we've, we've just looked at it in a, too small of a way. Um, it's a much bigger promise than I think we understand. So let's go Jeremiah 29. We'll start in verse 10. This is God giving them the bad news and then starting to help them reframe that bad news. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. But you're going to stay there for 70 years. This exile, this, this place you're exiled, it's your new home. This, this place you've been kidnapped, it's where you live now. He says, and after that, though, I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. He's going to, he'll let them come back to Israel and start rebuilding their life. 
For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. That's the verse that we love to put on coffee mugs. He says, and then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So you can see this verse and, and Jeremiah 29, 11, which is a very famous verse, all of that is very directly spoken to these people who are in exile. These are verses to help them realize bad things happening in your life don't necessarily mean that God failed you. They don't necessarily mean that it's evil coming upon you, that Satan has won in some way, or that your life is off track. But sometimes but that God can still be in control of this moment. And so even though he tells them that some of them would never return like they'd hoped, he goes on to say, but don't worry, I know the plans I have for you. I know the plans. I have control of your life. I know what your future holds. This is not the end for your people. I have your future in my hands. I am in charge of everything that is going on. He reminds them that in their darkest moments, he's still there and he's still moving their story forward. It's so easy when we get into those hopeless moments to see no next chapter in the story or to feel like every, if there are other chapters, they're going to be just as sad and depressing as the one we're in. And so as they find themselves in a place where they've lost so much, God says, no, no, I want you to lean in and keep trusting me. I've got your today, and I've also got your tomorrow in my hands. Now, like I said, Jeremiah 29, 11 is one of those verses that gets put on cards and stuff like that. And, and so often we kind of read it as if it's this promise just to us of God saying, I know, your, I know your plans for your future, and they're good plans for you. And in our modern American mindset, we read that as, God's going to make me rich. I'm going to win the lottery. I'm going to have granite countertops and a nicer car. Everything is going to be great. I'm going to be healthy until I die peacefully in my sleep at the age of 102. Everything's going to be great in my life. That's what we read. If you read it like that, and then you go through living life, you're going to be really feeling like God pulled a fast one on you. Because you're going to get sick. People you love aren't going to live as long as you. Life's not going to hand you everything on a silver platter. Life will get terrible at times. You're going to wake up one day having panic attacks and with no explanation why. Things will happen. That's not what this verse is saying. It's saying even in the middle of those dark seasons, I still have plans for you. And maybe I'm even carrying out those plans through the darkness. You see, what's really interesting for these people is if you look at the story of Israel, it's a big and beautiful story, kind of the, 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 the main backbone of the Bible, of the entire story of the Bible, starts with a promise God made to a man named Abraham or Abram. God likes to change people's names once he pulls them into his story. And so God makes a promise saying, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation, meaning you're going to have descendants upon descendants, so many descendants, there are going to be enough people in your family tree to make a nation out of them. I'm going to give that, those people a place to actually be a nation, a piece of ground, a piece of land to be a nation. And then through those people, I'm going to bless the whole world. Now, then you start reading through the story, 
And the Israelites, the people that came from Abraham, you think, they're, they're going to be something great. God's going to use them to bless the whole world. And they were meant to be this light of goodness shining in a dark world, a light of God that was evidence of God's goodness in a broken world. But they didn't do that job very well. In fact, if you read the Old Testament story of, of Israel, they are, it's one of the most frustrating reads because you're like, these people are dumb. Like, they're the God shows up in like crazy, miraculous ways, and then like two seconds later, they're like, yeah, I don't know if I believe in God. And they're like, what? Like, you just had bread fall from the sky. You had a, a literal pillar of fire, blazing fire, guiding you in the middle of the night. And you, you don't believe? Like, I get it when somebody in our modern world, where, we don't, where God doesn't quite work this way anymore, I get it when they're like, I have trouble believing in God. But if God shows up in such these visible, tangible ways, the Israelites, they feel so frustratingly thick-headed and dumb, and they would turn and worship other gods. They were just as evil at many times as the other nations in the world. They weren't a light in the darkness. Sometimes they were the darkest place in the darkness. And that was the season they were in when God exiled them. And God exiled them as a punishment for them not being faithful to him. He says, I have a plan for you, and you guys are so far off the rails. And he punished them, and and he brings them into exile as a way to take the people that were faithful and to kind of grab them by the coat and say, wake up and pay attention. This is not great what you guys are doing. And through this exile, what happened was a few very, very faithful people walked out of Babylon 70 years later saying, never again. We are never, ever going to turn our backs on God ever again. We're not going to be swayed by the gods of these other nations. We're not going to let anything lead us away from God. And they walk back to Israel. And for what we know, they never once, the bulk of the people of Israel after this, never once lost sight of the promise that God had for them. Yeah, there were little groups within here and there. But overall, they had the best, most faithful period of their history after the exile. God course-corrected his plans through this darkness, through this punishment. He saved the day. And ultimately, that promise that was going to be to all nations was Jesus. And so in order for our future to get on track, for for Jesus to come into, into the world through these people, God had to make sure they were still faithful by then. And so this was an amazing, amazing work of grace and goodness that to those people felt like, Absolute devastation, absolute hopelessness, absolute no tomorrow. And I look at our lives and I look at who we are and how things happen to us, and we struggle nowadays. Like I said, it's culture's changed. It's very quick for Christians to be like, oh no, the world is over. God hates us. The world hates us. The world's going to hell. And, you know, we get so down and, and freaked out. And the people that, Get microphones on TV, you're screaming that the apocalypse is coming tomorrow, and which, by the way, people have been saying that for 2,000 years, and it, that I, I get skeptical anytime anybody says stuff like that. But what happens is, when things are easy, like we said earlier, you don't appreciate how easy it is, and you get lazy and compliant. And I think that's kind of what has happened to the American Christian church, because we had it so easy for so long. We didn't we didn't really have to struggle to share our faith with people. Because, like, you want to go to church? Yeah, I should probably go to church anyway. You're right. You know, and they would come to church with us. Now, you want to share your faith with somebody? 
hey, you want to go to church with me? Why would I ever go to church with you? Like, it's a different ball game, right? But because we didn't have to work at it for so long, now we're terrible at it. You don't go to the gym for so long, you get a little one of the, you know, you get a little here, and think, pants split down the middle sometimes when you're doing your work, you're like, what happened there? And like, you, you, when you don't exercise, when you don't do the work, like, you get out of shape, and you get lazy, and you get, you know, where you're not ready to do things. And I think the church has been that way for a long, long time, because life has just been so easy for Christians. We didn't have to do a lot of the work. By the way, the pants splitting thing, I say, because it has happened to me, I don't know how many times since I've been at Loami, and... Luckily, I've been alone almost every time it's happened, so I could just like walk sideways home, hoping nobody drove by and wanted to start a conversation. But, but that's what happens, though. When life is easy, we get apathetic. We get complacent. And so now that things are getting shaken up and we don't have it easy anymore, if we want to be Christians and truly go all in with Jesus, we got to like pay attention. We got to get our heads in the game. We got to like really take this seriously. If you want to grow and, let your, and invest your life into Christ, like nobody's going to tell you to do that. You've got to pay attention and do that yourself. You've got to take ownership of your faith. And so we can't just float along anymore. It's serious now. It's a real deal. And sometimes I wonder if maybe God is letting this time of ease be done so that we will actually truly go all in with our whole lives, our whole selves, that we will take this seriously and give absolutely everything we are to him and trust everything about our future into his hands. Because when it's easy, eh, whatever, that's fine. When I was younger and my metabolism was just screaming along like a freight train, I could eat whatever I want. Who cares? Then you, I don't know when it happened. It's been like, it just keeps happening. I feel like every like two years my metabolism gets worse and worse and worse. And now it's like, oh, things aren't so great. I better, I could eat a little healthier. I I can eat Brussels sprouts every now and then or some broccoli or something like Abby made me eat pizza with spinach on it the other day, guys. Like, you know what? You don't know how hard I've got it over there, okay? It's terrible. But, like, when, it's, when, th- when things don't work like they used to, it's not as easy. you gotta, you got to step up your game a little bit. And that's kind of what I wonder is happening here. And, I, and I'm not saying that's God's plan. I'm just saying just because things look bad doesn't mean things are bad. Just because things look shaky doesn't mean things are shaky. It doesn't mean it's out of God's hands and that he's not fully in control. He might just be, like he has many times in the past, allowing a dark season to shake us out of our complacency and truly follow him the way he's calling us to follow him, to be followers of Jesus and to stop straddling a fence and to get all the way in because half in no longer makes sense anymore. So for us to act hopeless, though, and to feel like, oh, it's all over. That doesn't make any sense for, the belie- for believers. Even on dark days, we should be able to say, but God's still in control. I don't know how. I don't know what's happening tomorrow. I don't even know if, how it's going to get better. But God's still here. He's still with me in this moment. Because with his presence, as he has walked faithfully with his people for century after century, through hardship after hardship, to lead them through that darkness and the blessing and goodness and wonderful days ahead, We have reason to never lose hope in what he has for us. Exiles are to be ever hopeful, regardless of how it looks. And that's the final lesson. That's the way I want to wrap up this series is to remind us we must be hopeful because God has plans past the dark days. And so as we continue to learn 
to live as exiles, as we kind of have to pay attention and learn how to navigate this rapidly changing culture while maintaining our faith in Christ. As followers of a God uh, in a culture that no longer follows him, um, we cannot lose hope. It gets difficult, that's okay. Doesn't mean he's failed, doesn't mean he's faltered, doesn't mean he's surprised or overwhelmed. He doesn't, that doesn't happen to him. So don't give up. When we accept where we are and we stay faithful to him, when we're pressured to not be faithful to him, we're going to learn, I think, deeper trust, deeper faith. We're going to experience deeper growth and deeper joy than we've ever experienced before when things were easy. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your continued presence in our lives no matter what happens. Um, There are days when our sight is so short, when our vision We just can't see past the next moment, the next day, the next season. And you see the full story. And I pray that we would trust you with it all so that we know that one day, uh, regardless of what this life does to us, we know that we've got an eternity secured with you, an eternity of joy and hope and and promise. And I pray that we would trust your word and we would even be able to read the story of the Israelites and see how their, their darkest moment was probably what saved them. Their darkest moment was probably what allowed them to continue on and be your faithful people anyway. It was, was what allowed Jesus to come into the world and, and have this culture to grow up in where they could uh, have centuries of, of history uh, of obedience to stand on. And I just pray, Father, that we would, um, even when moments when we have short sight, that we would um, still be able to trust that you don't. Moments when we're overwhelmed and scared, we'll trust that you aren't. And moments when tomorrow looks like it may never come, we'll know that in uh, your hand... We always have it tomorrow. So thank you for the gift of hope that cannot be taken from us. The gift of hope that when we trust in you, when we follow in the footsteps of Jesus and put our hope in what he has done for us on the cross, through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection, hope cannot be taken from us. And that is a gift, Father, that is utterly priceless. And I thank you for it. And I pray that we value that hope and we keep it in front of us even on days that are dark. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.